I'm going to finish our series in the, the book of Gentle and Lowly this morning. So if you want to turn to, really I'm going to be looking at some stuff in Galatians chapter 2 and in Galatians chapter 3. Yeah, next Sunday we'll be here. So we'll, we'll um, have a meeting next Sunday. So we'll be here 11 o'clock. Just before the, the lockdown, we bought a dog. And our girls had been asking for a dog for a decade or longer. And, uh, and uh, I don't know why, there was just a moment, not really anything to do with thinking there was a lockdown coming. We had no idea, but we just decided, okay, we're going to buy a dog. And she's an adorable, small little thing. And one of the things you notice with a dog is they have no struggle with their ego. <laughs> and uh, there's no struggle with their identity. Uh, you, you quickly realise that a dog has no kind of inner story of comparison about what they do and what they have. The dogs never come to the park from the park and, and says, I'm a lot smaller than the other dogs. I don't know who I am. <laughs> they don't compare themselves. They don't really try to work for your approval or your love. They just are themselves, wagging their tail, doing the things they do. And dogs are just more joyful and less problematic than people. <laughs> people, you and I, seem to walk around with a lot of neurotic suffering. <laughs> but you know, that wasn't the way it was always meant to be. And that's actually not the way it's meant to be for you and I, particularly as believers in the Lord Jesus. That we're to be those who just know, because we know, because we know, we've got the smile of God and we're absolutely loved. We're to be like those who have no comparison to anybody else. We're just happy to be ourselves and know who we are and know that we have been created fearfully and wonderfully. We're created to live from that space like, really, Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the garden, walking with God. That's who we're meant to be. But that's not really how it is for many of us. And there's a really beautiful story made up in this book, Gentle and Lowly. And he says this, Picture a 12-year-old boy growing up in a healthy, loving family. As he matures... Through no fault of his parents, he finds himself trying to figure out how can, he, how can he really assure himself a place in the family. One week, he tries to create a new birth certificate for himself. The next week, he determines to spend all his extra time scrubbing the kitchen clean. Some of us are saying, stay in your place of insecurity. Come to my house now. We're not saying that. <laughs> the following week, he determines to do all he can to imitate his dad. One day, his parents question his strange behaviour. I'm doing, I'm just doing all I can to secure my place in the family, guys. How would his father respond? His father would respond, calm yourself, my dear son. There's nothing you could possibly do 
to earn your place among us. You are our son. Full stop. You don't need to do anything at the start to get into our... You didn't do anything in the start to get into our family. Mm. It's true. And you can't do anything now to get out of our family. Amen. Live your life knowing your sonship is settled and irreversible. Whoa. And that place of it's settled, irreversible, is the life we should be living as believers but that's not often the Christian story many of us would say subconsciously maybe not consciously under the surface there's like this inner swirling a kind of restlessness a kind of fretful panic will he accept me am I doing good enough Am I enough? And then we think, I'm not enough, I need to try harder. But whatever we do, we always feel a little like it's insufficient. And we have this kind of discomfort before God. In moments where we think really enthusiastic about God, we make vows and promises and commitments. We say, I know you love me, God. Now I'm going to be really serious for you. And we go back to work. Sometimes we just find ourselves full of worry, full of resentment about who we are. We compare ourselves with one another and gripped by comparison. If I could pray like him, or if I could be like her, then God would surely love me. There's a kind of fearful nervousness about us scorekeeping, waking up in the morning with a scorecard. I know he'll receive me today because yesterday was a really good day. He won't want me today because yesterday was a really bad day. We find ourselves uptight and trying to control everything. We feel, if we're honest, that the Christian life we have is the opposite to really being a blessing. And so we feel we have to try harder and do more. Galatians 3.10 says this in one translation. As many who are of works of the law are under a curse. Or another way of saying it, when we rely on our behaviour, we feel we're living under a curse. What is this curse and why do we feel like it? Basically, that verse is saying we're living in a kind of mental universe of law. What does that mean? It means that we believe our obedience strengthens love. That's what all that swirling and anxiety and struggle and wrestling and confusion is. That deep down we really believe that our obedience strengthens his love. I want you to imagine there's a little factory in your heart. And that little factory is always manufacturing things that it thinks will make Jesus love you more. It's kind of knocking away and hammering away at metal, fabricating, making, designing, thinking of new ways that if I do this or that, 
then Jesus will surely love me. That's the root of things like perfectionism. If I do it all perfectly, say it all perfectly, think it all perfectly, then I'm lovable. And so we think that we have to perform. So Christianity becomes more like wearing a mask. I've got to perform for everyone. And we find ourselves going through the rhythm, but it's not really deep in our heart because we feel we've got to build and manufacture something. Legalism is a really subtle thing, is a very subtle leaning to seek favour through behaviour. And we think, if I'm going to have a favourable future, then I need favourable behaviour right now. And it almost goes under the radar. This kind of heart struggle is almost undetectable. Some people say it's like water is to fish. Fish don't think they're in water. It's just the way it is. We swim. We breathe air. It's just the way it is. But when we live our lives thinking we've got to manufacture, when we live our lives trying to cover over our sense of inadequacy, when we feel we've got to perform, what ends up happening is we lack a felt awareness of the affection and love of the Lord Jesus. We stop feeling it when we depend or rely upon our own activity or effort. In one translation it says, as many who are of works of the law are under a curse. And that translation is saying, it's not just about the things that we do, it's actually something about who we intrinsically, fundamentally are. It's not just about, we can go through the day and say, you know what, I pray, but I'm not trying to earn his approval. I read the Bible, but I know I'm not trying to earn his approval. I I, I share my faith, but I'm not trying to earn his approval. And we can have all this doing that we believe is utterly separate from legalism, but we can have an of works heart. It's so deep in us, it's undetectable. But we kind of breathe it out, because it's who we are. I'm not quite settled in my personhood. I'm not quite doing enough for him to love me. It's our identity. It's a subconscious thing. The book helpfully says, when we rely on the law, it's not just that we've fallen short of the, the beauty of the gospel, It's actually that we're running in the opposite direction of the gospel. So how would you know if you've got this kind of subconscious identity of works going on? It often manifests when you make a mistake. So imagine an of works heart is building a, a big, beautiful boat and... You're building it and you're confident in yourself and you're manufacturing it. And then you you get it wrong. You you do something that you think, that's not what a believer does. It's like the whole ship gets torpedoed and it sinks. Because you were trying to build it yourself. 
So the book of Galatians is written to help us change our mind. So Galatians 3, 3, we could, we could put ourselves in it. You silly Londoners. If Paul was around in Europe writing today, he would say, you silly Londoners. Or he might say, you silly people from southeast London. He would say, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected by the flesh? And by the flesh he means your own effort, your own activity, your own work. So every believer, if you're a Christian here this morning, you were born again of the Spirit. Yeah? The Holy Spirit blew when someone told you about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, that Jesus is alive and that you can be saved and that you can know God. It was a work of the Spirit. It's just like that little boy in the story. Um, Jesus says it, flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. Nothing to do with you. Absolutely nothing to do with you. Whatsoever. You heard, he gave you the gift of faith, and you believed, and you confessed with your mouth, and you became a believer. It was a work of the Spirit. Some of you might have heard the gospel about Jesus before and thought, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. I remember all my life thinking, there's no God. I got the Gideon's Bible. I never picked it up and read it. It wasn't interesting. Thought that no appetite at all until Spirit woke me up. I remember it. Sunday in May 1987 listening to a tape by Yonggi Cho talking about red bikes and blue bikes and asking for what you need I'm not sure why I was listening to that it was in the tape library and I borrowed it and in the middle of hearing that the Holy Spirit woke me up Jesus is real Man. so that wasn't a work of me that was a work of the Spirit and then Paul is saying Having begun by the Spirit, don't try and change your life by working hard. Be transformed, yeah, by the renewing of your mind, but that is a work of the Spirit. Let's put it another way. Have you seen those beautiful cabins in the Swiss mountains that have a central huge furnace burning wood and coal? Really hot. And then there's pipes going off the furnace and it heats each room from the central furnace. The furnace is blazing, it's hot and roaring with heat. And then when you go into your room, to get the heat from the furnace, you have to open the vents in the room. And then the heat from the furnace flows down the metal pipes and comes into your room. If you keep the vents closed, it doesn't matter how hot the furnace is, you're not going to benefit from the heat. The book of Galatians is written to open the vents of our heart so that we experience the passionate, roaring love of Jesus that's roaring with heat right now. Amen. But when we have a kind of legal mindset, it's like the vents remain closed. We lose our sense of his heart for us because we can't believe that his heart could be that unconditionally loving and passionate for us. We believe we have to become someone different. We believe we have to get it right. 
We believe we have to be perfect, we have to perform, we've got to do better than other people. We've got to keep a whole list of rules. And we can't believe that he could just love me with a passion, just as I am. And yes, if we were talking other preachers, he would say, yeah, be transformed by the ruining of your mind. Put off and put on. There's a whole load of stuff, but the starting point of all radical obedience is understanding you're already loved just as you are. All decisions of radical obedience on all the topics in Christianity begin with, I have been personally loved by the Lord Jesus. And nothing I do can make him love me anymore. And nothing I do can make me any, love hit me any less. When I was a sinner, Christ died for me. When I was in my absolute worst condition, he took the initiative for me. When I was dead, he rose me from the dead. The felt awareness of Christ's love is the absolute key to rest, wholeness and flourishing. I believe in counselling. I went to see someone for a couple of years. I believe in the power of therapy. I believe in the necessity of going to the local GP. I believe in the power of process with, in various different ways. But I know this, that all those things lead to, in, in my opinion, one place that ultimately sets the person radically free. And it's knowing Christ's heart. In everything I've ever done, whether it's been, whether it's been having a sozo, which is, a, which is a, a supernatural ministry for connecting to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Whether it's the steps program we're doing right now, a 12-step process to deal with unhelpful behaviour. Whether it's counselling. Whatever it's been has always led ultimately to a greater experience of Christ and Christ who loves me. That's what the human heart needs more than anything is reconciliation with the God of love. With the God who so loved the world that he gave Jesus to deal with our greatest obstacle, our sinfulness. That's, I, I could say to you, whatever you're going through right now, whatever issues that you feel, whatever fretful panic, whatever, whatever internal swirling, Whatever resentment or comparison or fearful nervousness that you might experience, it doesn't really matter what route you take to get it dealt with, but I tell you that ultimately the place you want to come to is, I'm loved by Jesus. To wake up in the morning and know I'm loved. Unconditionally favoured by God. We live in a world of plurality and political correctness, a world where we're meant to say that every single faith is equal with every single faith. And dare I say that there is only one place where the human heart can find its home. There's only one. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's the God-man. 
the God incarnate, Jesus, who died for us, as us, and was rose again from the dead so that we could be completely acquitted. Dare I say that it doesn't matter how successful a person becomes, what favour they have in the eyes of men or women, what wealth they accumulate, how amazingly their heart is in a place of well-being. There is a life in Christ that goes beyond our imagination. There is a dimension in the Lord Jesus' love that is so transformative and liberating, it blows us away. The healthy Christian life is based on both the subjective, in other words, the felt experienced emotion, and the objective. It's both. Every believer, yes, can, can know objectively that Jesus is God, that Jesus died for your sins, that Jesus was rose again from the dead and alive right now, and, and, and know those objectively. But the call is not just to know things in an intellectual way, it's to know them in a subjective way that burns our heart and makes us radical disciples of the Lord Jesus. We're called to have an experience of love. We're called to know the warmth of his love every single day. We're called to know that Jesus has made you and me his own and that he's never, ever, ever going to change his mind about you. His mind is settled and is irreversible. Paul says it in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But the life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is personal. This is an experience of personal warmth that Jesus gave himself for me and Jesus gave himself for you. The call is to get up each morning and replace that kind of orphan mindset of I'm on my own and I've got to impress God with a mindset full of free adoption that I am loved, that my essential identity is that I am loved, I am accepted, I am adopted. This is reality. This is reality. So I'm going to wrap this up and finish here. I just wanted to something we were looking up at steps this week we might have different disciplines with God different routines to connect to God daily but ultimately everything is about I'm doing this because I'm coming to a place of rest in his love and affection I'm coming every day to the calmness and the confidence of knowing that I am his and he is mine. I'm coming every day to experience the fact that I am loved by him. And I'm coming to see life as it really is, reality. And true reality can only be perceived through his love. So Lord Jesus, I pray 
that for each of us we would make decisions to open the vents of our heart and to truly believe that this news is really as good as it says it is. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be aware if in any way we rely upon our behaviour to try and manufacture your love. I pray from this moment onwards we would just be alert and aware if we try to manufacture uh, any of your love through our obedience. I pray, Lord Jesus, for breakthroughs on things like perfectionism and trying to do it and say it all perfectly to feel then we've got an identity, to have real freedom in those areas. In your name, Lord Jesus.